in it, it has mostly the focus of the miracle that we discussed last week where Jesus takes the, the bread and the fish and he multiplies it among the crowd. And then he goes on to teach on that later in the chapter. And so Jesus, he's teaching in the tabernacle of Capernaum, and he is teaching amongst people who witnessed that previous miracle. And he, he, he makes a reference to himself that is very interesting in calling himself the bread of life. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear the bread of life, and if, if I hadn't grown up in the church before, the, just referring to someone as the bread of life seems kind of odd. But Jesus likes to take things that are symbolic of something else in reference to himself. And so what he is doing is he is trying to illustrate to them what he represents to people. And first off, in reference to bread, because we're going to be talking about it a lot today, my house loves bread like crazy. How about yours? In fact, well, uh, it, was, it was early in our marriage, I had to put the kibosh to Wendy. We had a homemade bread machine, and she would cook bread throughout the night. Here I am trying to sleep, and all I can smell is bread. I can't, I can't sleep. And if you would see the behavior of my children at Thanksgiving you would think that they have never had bread in their lives because I looked over at Isaac's plate and it had a very small piece of turkey and he had six pieces of bread. And I said, are you getting enough? I want to make sure I'm taking care of you. And it, it, it's a miracle that kid does not weigh 300 pounds. I, I don't understand it. It's science. Um, But bread is good. And the crowd that is listening to Jesus, the, the problem that they have, and we're going to see today, is they take everything he says literally. Everything he says they take literally. And so when it came to the Jewish leaders that Jesus would say something and they'd take it literally, that they would immediately become offended and they'd become argumentative at what he was teaching. And so what if you read through all of chapter 6, and we can't, we can't possibly cover all of it this morning, um, you would see that a lot of this is Jesus trying to make them understand. And so we're going to examine today, not the argument so much, but we're going to examine what is Jesus trying to say. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break this up into three different sections because I think that is the easiest way to digest it because he starts out by talking what we naturally gravitate toward consuming. The first thing that we naturally gravitate toward consuming are perishable things. You and I might not realize it, but most of the things we are consuming, be it food, be it entertainment, be it just if you were going to go shop today, you would notice that all those things that you find interest in are perishing. So let's look at John chapter 6, verses 26 through 27, and see what Jesus says about this. It says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. 
you want to be with me because I fed you. So he's talking to the crowd that just witnessed the miracle. Not because you don't understand, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So imagine Jesus outside of his work on the cross. Jesus just performed the biggest miracle, the one that affected the most people of his entire ministry. He just, he just fed the 5,000 men, and as we discussed last week, there was probably closer to 10 to 12,000, maybe even more. And so all these people, they saw this miracle, and they are pursuing Jesus because of what they have seen him do. And notice what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Last week, we discussed how Jesus was trying to, to, trying to bridge that gap in their understanding of between Moses and now him, and he's going to go on and further explain that here, but Jesus recognizes what their desire is from him, and that they want more of it is more based on the miraculous things that he can do, like raining down bread from heaven. They're not so much interested in, in particularly the things he is saying or, or trying to understand who he is, where he comes from, what his purpose is. Perform the miracle. That's what we want to see. And so they're looking at him. You are the guy. You, you know, Moses rained down bread from heaven. Now Jesus is doing it. And Jesus, he does appreciate that he has a captive audience that he can talk to, but he doesn't appreciate what they are captivated by. I don't know about you, but I have noticed I tend to gravitate towards things that don't last. They don't remain. Whether it's just my natural desires as a consumer, or even in my prayer life, I have often sought after things that will be temporary in my life. For instance, if you're praying to, for God to take care of your bills, guess what? There's going to be another bill next month, right? Okay? Also, that if you think that one thing, one answered prayer, will change the entire course of your life, you're going to discover there is going to be another need arise down the future. For instance, maybe you have been praying, God, I need a car. Lord, I am praying for a brand new car. I need this brand new car. And that, God, that will take care of everything. Then you get that car. You put miles on it. Parts begin to wear. Things need maintained. Things need replaced. Eventually, you are going to have to replace that car, amen? amen. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then there's those other things that I, I, I enjoy consuming. Daily activities like, I, I, I love a good nap, don't you? I, I love sleep. And not that it's obvious, I like to eat. And you know, there's also the, the, the entertainment by watching sports, although if you're an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, you weren't that entertained last night. And what you're going to see is, 
It leaves, these things, they leave a temporary impression on your life because guess what? You are going to need to sleep again the next day. You are going to need to eat again the next day. Or there's going to be hope again for your team to win in the future. Please, God. So to not confuse you and meddle in things you already know, but some of these things that I have mentioned, we naturally physically need. But the reality is we'll need it again. Do we have any gardeners in here? Anyone who likes to garden? Okay, a few of you. So you know that there's no greater part of gardening than the harvest, amen? There's no greater part in the harvest than the harvest. And so you also know the amount of work it takes in order to be able to yield some kind of good harvest. You know that you got to till up your ground. You know that you got to clear it of debris and all that. You know you got to plant your rows. You know that you also have to give nutrients to the ground. You have to weed it. You have to do all these things in order to yield that harvest. Imagine all the time and energy we put in to being able to eat a tomato, corn, cucumber, if you're into that, if it's pickled. But imagine if you could just log the amount of time you put in to yielding items out of your garden. I'm sure you'd go into shock. I'm sure you'd see the amount of time you put in that and you'd go into shock. And the, the thing is that I know, I know that there, are a, there, there is a lot of energy that we tend to put into things that are perishing. Some things are necessary, some things are unnecessary. And if there is a sin that I struggle with, it's coveting. And it's coveting because I do like to consume. So I look at what some, someone else has something that I want I like it, or there's this new fangled gadget out there, and I'm like, oh, I need to have that thing. And so everything in my life will start working toward getting that one thing. I'll make sure I don't spend so much money here in order to get to that goal. I, I, I might pick up a job or two in order to get to that goal, and I will work and work and work until I have that. And the worst part is, it's just stuff. I look at it and think, once I've gotten it, well, I have this, now what? And I've, I've done that so many times in my life, and I, I don't want to go over the list of purchases I've made thinking, oh man, I need to have this. And then I get it, then I use it once, twice, maybe a ten times, and then I'm like, okay, that was cool, now let's go on to something else. There's always something new. There's always something different. There's always a longing to replace the previous desire for something for something else. How much energy do you think you spend on things that are perishing? If you were to graph out how much time you spent on things that don't last, 
what percentage of your day do you think that would be? For instance, I, I was thinking about this in, in trying to distinguish things that are perishing versus things that are non-perishing. Our idea of non-perishables truly do perish. Think about it. If you are a doomsday prepper and you're like, you know what, we need to get as much non-perishable foods as we can and we are going to store it in our basement. Say, for instance, you put, you, you put a vault door on that basement. You die, things happen. 50 years later, they discover this room in your house and they see all this non-perishable foods. 50 years later, and, and one of them goes, hey, I dare you to eat that. Are you going to want and eat, to eat a non-perishable food that has been sitting for 50 years? I know I wouldn't, right? Some of y'all are crazy then. And what Jesus is saying here, I'm concerned with where you put your energy, your time and energy, because these things don't last. They don't last. In the Sermon on the Mount, if you've ever read that, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in the book of Matthew. You'll read it between chapters 5 and chapter 7. And Jesus was speaking directly to people who are prone to worry. Do we have worriers in the house this morning? Okay, you're all over. And he stated that if we have faith in God, he will bring us provision in our lives. So we shouldn't worry. Listen to how he describes this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You know, church, I'm, I'm going to say this because I'm, I'm going to be driving this home. We're developing a point here. But you and I, we are not called to be ignorant or lazy. But the lesson that we can apply here from the Sermon on the Mount is that if we put our energy into eternal things, God is going to provide. The goal for you and I is that if we are open to evaluating our lives and examining where our priorities truly lie in life. Because I guarantee that if you just start to refocus how you think and reapproach life differently as a believer in Jesus Christ and understanding that there is a greater purpose that we have, you're not going to worry so much about the little things. You're going to see that God is providing for you. And you're going to change your focus more on what God wants in your life. You're sitting here and you might say, you know, Pastor, I go to church on Sunday. I go to church. I go to the Wednesday night class. I watch Passion of the Christ every year on Easter. I listen to worship music. You can say all those things, and I am telling you, your priorities may still be far away from what God wants for your life. 
For me, I'm tired of wasting my energy on things that don't last. You know, there's, there's the, the mundane activities that, you know, we, we know we need to do, like food prep, you know, th- things like that to, in order to eat. And I think that's why Paul says, food for the stomach, the stomach for food. He's like, I got better things to worry about. I'm not so concerned about food, right? But so this last week, we've got this new church management software. And church management software, it's, it's, it helps you collect data. It helps you connect the church. And the right church management software allows you to be able to message people through there, do newsletters, um, has the church directory, has all these different things. And anyways, so we're taking all these platforms we use, which there was like five or six of them, and we're all merging it under Tidely, right? So we're, we're doing that, and I am taking all the information from Instant Church Directory, and I am merging it into this new software. And so as I'm preparing it, I, I'm seeing that I can do a spreadsheet and I just have to change where the fields are on the spreadsheet and then it'll accept it in their software. I spend about three or four hours doing this. And then I go to hit that upload button. And it accepts it. I'm like, praise God. Now let's go look at the directory. And one after another, it says new user one, new user two, new user three, new user four. And I'm like, it didn't do it. So I go back and I read the instructions. I'm like, okay, so maybe if I just change this field and this field, everything will work. And then I I spend another hour or some on that. Upload it again. Same result. And so finally, like, you know what? I followed the instructions perfectly. I don't know what to do. Here, I will message their help desk. I messaged their help desk, and they're like, you're a new user. You know what? You could have just sent us that file, and we would have done it for you. (laughs) A whole day wasted. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Now, I use that as an example, but you and I, we truly, if we want to be intentional with our lives... We need to be able to break down and examine what we are putting our energy into. Because what God is calling us to do, what Jesus is saying, he says, you need to start considering the non-perishable things. Imagine if you and I lived our lives, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if, if we lived our lives focused on things that are more important to God and not worrying about the small things like food and those sorts of things. In consideration of that, let's look at John 6, 35 through 40. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those, one of all those he has given me but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all those, all who see His Son and believe in Him 
should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. I read this section of Scripture, and we have to understand how Jesus is speaking figuratively. But even considering what he's saying and taking it figuratively, I read it and I say, God, we have a problem here. And this is the problem we have. I see people who claim Christ who are not satisfied. And the reason that, 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 that comes to believe that, that maybe people are not satisfied is that I, I start thinking about that and trying to conclude why on earth we have so many believers out there that never seem to find satisfaction with the Lord. And I have to go back to the very beginning. Did we ever fully give ourselves over to him in the first place? Think about it. Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes will never be thirsty. Yet so often, these old desires in our lives, these longings still remain. And so how do you and I fix this? And I believe the answer lies in what Jesus said in verse 36. He says, you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. And it comes down to belief because it is one thing to acknowledge Jesus is who he is and he can do what he does and accept him. It is another for you to believe he can do in word and deed exactly what he says in your life. Are you hearing me, church? If you, truly, if you truly accept Jesus Christ, then you believe that the very things that he can do and instill in my life, he can do in your life. It isn't that you are less or you are differently valued or things that apply to someone else can't apply to you. God is who he says he is in his word and it applies to you. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Or in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, he says, I have come to call those who think they are righteous, but those, or, or, or not, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So I came to two more thoughts. Are we resting in him? Are we truly repenting? You and I, we have to embrace that if we accept Jesus Christ, we have to embrace this idea of surrendering who we are over our entire past, giving that to him, entrusting him with our future, and setting the course of our life to follow out after him in all things. Proverbs 3, verse 6, it says, Acknowledge him in all your ways and I will make your path straight, right? I will make your path straight. So we must acknowledge him in each and everything that we do in order that you and I can be satisfied. This isn't saying, okay, God, I'm going to do what I want to do, but I acknowledge you're here. It's saying, God, I acknowledge the rest of my life is yours. And you are going to determine the course that I am on. 
And so by acknowledging him in each and everything that we do, we are immediately placing him as our top priority. And then what you will notice is over time, not instantly, but over time, your desires will change. The Apostle Paul, he touches on this repeatedly as he talks about our spiritual nature versus our fleshly nature. And you and I, our physical bodies have needs and, and one day we know that we are going to be called to our eternal home. And until that day arrives, those needs are going to constantly be there. We need to eat. We need to sleep. But if you and I accept that we are flesh and spirit and that our flesh is dying, and our spirit is eternal, we know there are greater things, there's greater value, excuse me, in placing our hope and trust and energy into what lasts and remains. So, think about it. What is going to build you up spiritually? What does it look like for you to invest in non-perishable things? I've got some ideas. Read the word of God and put it into practice. Right? Cry out to him in prayer and give him room to respond. Tell others about him and lead people to him. These are simple principles. But I am telling you, church, we can say it. We can say we need to do it. But until it's implemented and starts to become who we are, there is always going to be a longing desire and energy put into things that do not last. The last principle, the last thing Jesus teaches us we need to consume is Him. We need to consume Jesus. In in John chapter 6, Verses 53 through 58, listen to what Jesus says. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. For people that took everything literally, how do you think they responded to that? It wasn't pretty. Because those were the things they held against him up until when they put him on the cross. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. And I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die, as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. 
You know, Jesus is repeating this theme over and over and over again throughout John chapter 6 in what he's telling them by him being the bread. Now he truly drives it home in explaining what it's going to look like by his death and resurrection. Now, obviously, they're not getting it. They, they don't understand it. And Jesus is speaking with intention behind that. We learn that from the Old Testament, that Jesus in, intentionally spoke figuratively and that people weren't going to get it. But now we can grasp it. This morning, we partook of communion. And it speaks to exactly what we did today, that we partook of his flesh. We partook of his blood. And we understand that sacrifice that was on the cross and what it does for us today. And it's not that you and I, and I know when he says it, it sounds weird. It's not that we are going to partake and eat his flesh or drink his blood. But symbolically, we are claiming Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And when he asks us to do this, this should challenge us to go deeper and understand who Jesus is and who he wants us to be. I look at Jesus much like I look at an artist. If you've ever seen an artist that have put a ton and work and thought into something, and you can appreciate each and every element... I don't know if you've seen, something they're doing a lot today is doing art with food. Have you seen that? So Wendy and I went on a cruise here a couple years ago. We went, we went on a Royal Caribbean cruise, and there's this, there's this restaurant on there called Wonderland. And Wonderland is themed after Alice in Wonderland, and all the waiters are dressed up as the Mad Hatter. It's kind of weird. And they, they bring out all these foods, and for instance, they bring out these deviled eggs, and these deviled eggs taste like buffalo chicken, right? Or they bring out these tiger shrimp, and, and you, for anyone who eats tiger shrimp, they know that they're huge, and they're wrapped in like the, uh, the, rice, the hard rice noodles, and the, you, you dip them in stuff, and so all this food has a very distinct purpose, and I could only imagine taking a picky eater like one of my children in there. And they're like, you know, I, I just want some chicken nuggets, man. Just give me some chicken nuggets. Or, you know, I really appreciate what you did for that dish, but if you could just hold everything off there and just give me the piece of meat, we'll be good to go. And I could only imagine the chef's reaction to that. He's like, hold on. I put thought into this. I put purpose into this. And I'm telling you guys, with Jesus Christ, everything he does is with thought and purpose. And if you want just part of Jesus, it's not going to be good enough. You have to accept him for every part that he is, or you've got to disregard the whole thing. It's so easy for people to embrace Jesus when they hear Jesus loves you. You know that song? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know what people don't sing about? The go and sin no more part. People aren't singing about that. We're, we're eager to sing about how Jesus loves us, but an important principle that we must apply, we've talked about the past couple weeks, is that go and sin no more part. So we can pick and choose the parts of Jesus that we like, but I promise you, if we do that, we haven't accepted who Jesus is. 
We need to get to know him for exactly who he says he is and make steps of faith to become more like him. You know, Jesus, he gave a very similar message to this to the woman at the well. He said, that's dead water. If you want living water, I can give you living water and you'll never thirst again. And of course, she took that literally too. And the whole purpose of these statements that he is making is because we always have this natural longing for more, you and I. And we're never satisfied. And here comes Jesus, fully man, fully God, who can set an eternal hope in you. And all the wonder for purpose, all the wonder on where you're going to find your hope is answered through Jesus Christ. The search is over when you find him. And true life begins at acceptance and following him. But you and I, in order to do that, we must fight daily to remain in him. I spoke about it earlier. We take communion monthly as a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done and to honor him. And we could do it. There are plenty of churches that do that do it based out of this ritual or tradition. But the goal is that we try and make it a fresh experience for us each and every time. You and I, we need to keep our relationship with Jesus fresh. Because catch this, the things of Jesus Christ are not perishing, but the things in us are. So we are the ones that need to stay fresh. He doesn't need to stay fresh. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we need to to seek to maintain that relationship with him because of how faulty we are in our own lives. You know, it can be easily compared to our marriages. This last week, Wendy had to go out of town for work. It was dad at home with the kids for almost four days. And I got to tell you, my kids are easy, so that's, that's not a problem. And, and I'm obsessive compulsive, so the house was com- clean, so that's not a problem either. But I was missing my partner. I was missing the person that has completed who I am in Christ, you know? And if we are in relationships, say these marital relationships, and there's no effort made in those relationships, over time, we will grow distant. Or over time, we won't desire to be together so much. And then eventually what's going to occur is we start operating more as friends or acquaintances and not as lovers. I got news for you. I don't want to live with my friends. Okay? I do want to live with my lover. And God is more than just a friend. God is more than an acquaintance says he's the lover. David describes it, the lover of my soul. And so with Jesus, if you are not actively pursuing 
a relationship with him, you're not going to be satisfied. But if you and I choose to go to him, surrender our lives, consume him for who he is, you're going to find you are satisfied to the full. And this comes with an eternal promise. Listen to John 10.10, what Jesus says. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. If you're out of answers today, if you are finding yourself unsatisfied, I am telling you, try Jesus. You won't be disappointed. But seek to remain in him. And what you're going to find is he has the ability to meet each and every need. And he is going to lead you along a path that leads you to eternity. But you have to acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll make your path straight. It is about surrender. It is about turning everything over to him. To, true, to choose Christ is to say, I choose to not live according to my old ways anymore. I have a different path. And so what I want you to do, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we, we, We've got a lot of things going on this morning. But right now, the most important thing you can do is you can ask yourself, Have I been leading a satisfying life in Christ? Have I been leading a satisfying life in Christ? And I'm telling you, if you're not satisfied, then you need to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit to speak. Because it's not that relationship, it's not God's side of the relationship that smells foul. It's our side that is perishing, that's decaying. And so we need to clearly hear from him. And so if you need renewed in spirit today, if you are here saying, I want to seek complete satisfaction with the Lord, and I know that can only come from him, would you stand with me? And here's what I want us to do. I want us to raise our hands to him. I want us to open up to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see all these people that are standing here today, God. And Lord, I, I, I see a hindrance that is the world. And the world is trying to actively take our focus off of you all the time. And God, I pray that that be shut out in Jesus' name. That God, the only thing we see is you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, and that our focus, our surrender, every step that we take is acknowledging you in all of our ways. Lord, the, the things that, that steal our gaze, those things are perishing. 
But God, I pray that we have a tenacity to remain in you and constantly seek you in everything that we do. And that God, we will not grow dull in spirit. God, will not become hard-hearted with things that are taking place in the world. But that will just challenge us all the more to seek you. God, I pray for self-discipline this morning. That God, those who have their hands raised, will be disciplined in seeking you daily. That God, we will not be satisfied until we hear from you. God, we will not be satisfied in reading the word until we understand it, Father. That we be diligent in those things that make us complete. God, I want to thank you for your son. I want to thank you for his truth, that God, he is the bread of life. He brings satisfaction to our souls. And that God, we will proclaim him daily. We will spend our energy focused on the things that are eternal not on the things that are perishing. Lord, I praise you and I pray that, God, we will make a diligent effort, that, God, it's easy to respond emotionally to a message, but, God, we'll make a diligent effort that when we step out of here, we will take action. And that, God, we are in control of our time we spend. God, reveal to us the things that we need to give up in order to draw closer to you. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.